Welcome, 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 housers and friends of the podcast on the way home. Thanks for joining us once again this week. We have an awesome guest. We have a great conversation. Before we get to that conversation, I want to talk a little bit about my organization, Blue Door. Blue Door is an organization that for the past 41 years has been operating in the northern part of the GTA, York Region, Durham, and Peel. We help our most vulnerable people find emergency housing, transitional housing, longer-term supportive housing. We do it for senior men, for families, for youth, for 2SLGBTQ plus youth, and for many, many more new Canadians uh, coming in needing housing. We do that. We also have a social uh, enterprise, social uh, construction enterprise called Construct, where we have a construction company that does a lot of amazing work to help uh, renovate and build homes, uh, as well we have the training arm of that, which launches people into the trades to build those homes we desperately need across the country. We also operate some health clinic pieces too with a nurse and inreach workers to keep people health healthy so they can actually achieve their goal of finding long-term housing and much, much more. If you want to find out all the things we do, go to bluedoor.ca or click on the QR code or now click on the QR code, but just scan that QR code. It will bring you right to the website and tell you all about us. We do this in partnership with the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. They are a national organization that are having huge impact. They do a lot of work around advocacy, telling the stories that Canadians need to hear that government, they have the ear of government uh, helping them with solutions around ending and preventing homelessness and they do a lot of training as well and much much more if you want to check out the wonderful work that they're doing at the canadian alliance and homelessness go to caeh.ca and, and check it out there today's guest we have annie hodgins from the canadian center of housing rights annie um, comes on for the first time and we've had the, the before they rebranded, we, we had uh, the organization out before, but this is Annie's first time uh, on the pod. She tells us all about the, the Canadian Center for Housing Rights, what they're up to, what they're all about. Uh, we have conversations around uh, some of the major needs across the country right now around rents and people stay, being able to stay in their homes as rents continue to increase. Uh, she educated me. I had no idea that you know, it's so different across the country where in Ontario, we've got different regulations around rents than they do in Nova Scotia, than they do in Saskatchewan. Uh, in some provinces, they don't have any regulations. So rents can go up at any time, at any rate, uh, which is very, very scary to hear about. And she talks about a campaign that they're doing right now, uh, the Secure Homes for Renters campaign, where they're actually making it really easy. They give you a link, a website to go to where you, you click and it writes a letter for you and sends it off. Uh, to your local politicians to really try and get their ear and build awareness and change legislation around uh, rental rules so people can stay in their homes and continue to afford their homes moving forward. That and much, much more. It's a great conversation. Annie, the historian, we find out she's got a, a master's in history and it led her to this work. Um, she's very, very bright and has a team of 26 doing impactful work across the country. You want to hear this podcast and learn as much as I did. Let's go to that conversation now. Thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You and your organization are doing incredible work, and we want to talk all about that, as well as uh, an important campaign that you uh, need some support on right now that's uh, making an impact. Before we get to that, I always have to start with our signature question, and that is, what does home mean to you? Yeah, and I really love this question. Um, 
to me, I mean, home, like with everyone, I think it's the center of my life. It means uh, security, food, refuge, culture, family, including animals. Um, and but because I've always worked in the sector and, I, and I'm really really aware of uh, of the double-edged sort of sort of, of the word home. I also always think about um, how crucial it is to uh, people's health and pro prospects. And if people don't have a home, how um, absolutely devastating that can be. So uh, that's my answer. Well said, well said. And there's there's no right or wrong to that. And, and this time of year when we're talking about um, health as well and, and, and how housing is so important to that. I just think of the other day in the GTA, uh, I was really, really, it was about two degrees. It, it was between sleet and rain and slush. And if you're getting soaked in that as someone experiencing homelessness or someone without housing, and you, you can't warm up or dry off, uh, the, the serious illness or, or death or health problems that, that come out of that for sure. So, so well said. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about your journey into this work. I know you've been with the uh, Canadian Center for Housing Rights for uh, for 10 years, right? Is it yeah. 10 years now? Yeah, that's right. For 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know through your background, you actually have a master's in history, right? I right? actually, yes, I do. Yes. Yes. And and so my journey was a little bit winding to get to <laughs> to where I am. But um, I started sort of, well, as, as someone that studied history, I always go back to the beginning. I grew up in a family that did a lot of community service work. And so just that notion of everyone needing to have what they need and, and supporting others was really crucial to sort of my ethos. And so I always did want to work in the nonprofit sector. I, when I was going off to school, I actually got a journalism uh, uh, scholarship, which I turned down because I, I felt like I needed to sort of understand the issues better. So I chose history and I think people don't necessarily, I'm a bit of an evangelist for history. People don't really understand um, it. There's a lot of critical thinking skills and, and analysis of social issues that 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 degree kind of helps you with so I'm always happy to encourage others to go into the area because I know it's not a straight pathway to a career always but um, I did want to work in the nonprofit sector and I started uh, with grant writing and uh, and working on program development and then that evolved into as it often does in the sector into program management and uh, just evolved from there. Um, I, I definitely was attracted to uh, Center for Equality Rights and Accommodation as it was then, uh, just because there was such a focus on human rights and, and housing as such an important social area. And I mean, I think these days everyone now understands that, but even 10 years ago, um, not everyone was seeing all those connections between housing and, and all of the other areas of people's lives that people are finally acknowledging. So that's sort of a, a, a brief summary of my of my trajectory, but it's just been an amazing journey at the organization and to see sort of the sector and the, the world kind of come along in those 10 years to really understand the issues better, um, even if we're still struggling with some solutions has been really, really great. Yeah, I 100% agree, because uh, I've now been in this field for 13 years, since 2010, mm -hmm. and it's a much different conversations on everyone's minds these days which is fantastic in one way <clears throat> and not so great because there's a reason why it's on everyone's minds the cost yeah. of housing the lack of housing that kind of thing for sure tell us about the canadian center for housing rights you rebranded in the last couple of years mm -hmm. uh, tell us all about like what you what do you do how did it come about uh, yeah. what you're focused on yeah so 
I'll go a little bit back to our founding because I, I do like talking about the past a little bit, but uh, 1987 uh, Center for Equality Rights and Accommodation was founded and it was founded by a, a group of low income um, Ontarians who were seeing that there were legal protections for them in the Ontario Human Rights Code, but there were gaps in how that was playing out. And Bruce Porter and Leilani Farha, who have done so much for social rights and, and housing rights uh, in Canada and internationally, were really involved in the organization for many years and at the founding of it. So I, um, we've done a lot of work historically on uh, sort of legal issues and, and advancing the right to housing and policy and legal work. And then for a little while, we got very much into a program program work and running community-based work, which is incredible. Um, so over the past four years uh, with our, we, we went through a bit of a strategic planning process. We, we rebranded ourselves as the Canadian Centre for Housing Rights, partly because it's much easier for people to understand what we do with that name than with Centre for Equality Rights and Accommodation. Um, and we sort of joined together through that process, this focus on community and the focus on systems change. And so we've got a a model where we um, do a lot of uh, services for, for renters in Ontario. We provide education sessions to um, uh, over a hundred education workshops a year for renters, um, frontline workers, as well as housing providers, often students as well, because that's all, because students often um, face quite a lot of challenges with, when they don't know their, their rights. Um, we provide services, including representation at the Landlord and Tenant Board, um, that all of those services complement what Legal Aid Ontario already does. Um, but we also run a pro bono matching program with uh, 26 private bar lawyers and firms, which was filling a, a gap we'd seen for a long time in terms of people accessing justice and, and the legal, legal support when they're facing eviction. Um, and then on top of that, we, we continue to do our uh, policy and, and law reform work. Um, we've run the Right to Housing Toronto, uh, coordinated that group for uh, several years since 2019, um, monitoring how, this, how, how the city is, is measuring up against its obligations when it comes to the Right to Housing. And we do lots of work sort of in that area and also federally um, and provincially. And then finally, just quite a exciting to us, we launched our first sort of research department in 2021. And we've got uh, some really accomplished researchers, if I do say so myself, including a data scientist, and we're, and we're looking into some understudied areas um, in, in housing right now. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart. Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. You're doing very important and impactful work. What are some of the biggest challenges facing your organization right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's 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 the same as it sort of always has been, but there are, as you kind of alluded to, there's just so much work to be done. But I think the good news is that more like we've seen more government action on affordability and supply sort of at all levels than we've ever seen in my time at least so i think the challenges just remain that there's so much to do in housing and and where do you really focus and have the biggest impact so 
we have been thinking about that recently and you know our framing at the organization is the seven elements of the right to housing but we've really started focusing on affordability and security of tenure uh, because in this current sort of affordability crisis um, those are the most important things um, if people you know low-income people we've always worked with and we've always um, fought to to protect their housing rights but you know increasingly middle income and and, uh, and upper middle income people can't afford housing so we really need to focus our efforts on on affordability and and preventing evictions and preserving existing affordable housing um so 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 a challenge that i think we've faced is making sure that people are aware that we need to protect the housing that we have I think there's a there's a big push to create more supply, which is great. But alongside that, one of the messages we're really trying to to you know to to put forward is we've got existing affordable housing both in the private in the private market um, that needs to be protected, and we also need to make sure that the housing that we're building is affordable and and perpetually affordable, and and that there's enough supportive housing and other types of housing that that meet the needs of people across the spectrum and not just that we're building expensive housing um, that that only a few people can can access. Yeah, interesting enough, uh, I we haven't aired it yet. We have a podcast with John Fox, who's a, a lawyer with Robbins Appleby. And so we were walking through a lot of the new legislation over the last year and a half. There was four mm -hmm. major bills passed and he was talking about the, um, a lot of that was just really based around supply of housing and it wasn't affordable, was not in the mix. Uh, that was one of the suggestions is that that needed to change uh, as well. We talk a lot on this podcast too about, you're, you're right, of course, supply, supply, new supply, great, affordable, deeply affordable supply, great, but we also have to maintain what we have. And some of that is around, yeah. uh, someone mentioned, I put out a tweet where we're talking about acquisitions uh, program and, yeah. and someone responded, Abe Utsarn, uh, who out of London yeah. said, Love it. However, what we really need is better rent control. Uh, or he said instead, mm -hmm. I've got a favor in rent control. Mm -hmm. I think we should do both. Mm -hmm. I think both would be great uh, mm -hmm. going forward. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've got to yeah. keep our, our current supply. And that is a good lead into what we want to talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. today. You are currently um, running a campaign, the Secure Homes for Renters. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How did that come about? Mm -hmm. What is it all about? And how can people get on board? Yeah, no, so we're running a campaign. Um, it runs until January 22nd, and it's a letter writing campaign. So we're asking everyone across the country to write letters um, to their provincial uh, representatives and premier um, and the representative responsible for housing. And the way it came about was we were trying to think of what do we need right now to preserve housing and, and make things more affordable. Um, and so it targets one of the sort of key policy levers available to us, which would be asking provinces and territories to make changes to their laws to protect um, renters from these increased uh, the increased unaffordability and, and rent increases that are happening. So um, half of uh, renters right now are worried they can't pay their rent um, and 95% of Canadians are worried about housing affordability. So, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, with those numbers, it, it really kind of, you know, makes the point itself. But um, we also have done sort of some looking into this and from 1990 to 2022, um, rents increased by 148% and even adjusted, but for inflation, that's 30% 
um, that rents have increased, and that's an average. So in cities like Toronto, it's much, much higher. Um, so, and then the big thing is in each province and territory, like we're losing affordable housing because when rents go up, people have to leave their homes. They often get evicted for arrears, which is the most common reason people get evicted in this country. Um, that means that then rents go up and not only do individuals lose their home, but the whole market, um, the, the costs go up. So um, just to, just a little bit of background in Alberta, New Brunswick, Newfoundland and Labrador, the Northwest Territories in Nunavut and Saskatchewan, there's no rent regulation at all. So landlords can raise rent once a year to whatever they'd like. Um, in Nova Scotia and the Yukon, there's currently some rent caps in place, but they have loopholes. And places like Ontario and British Columbia do have rent control while you're living in a unit, but once a, a tenant leaves, there's no vacancy control. So landlords can adjust the, the price upward to any price that they'd like. Um, there are a few provinces that do have vacancy control, which is wonderful. And so this, um, from our perspective, so this letter writing campaign allows people with one click when they go on our website to have a form letter sent to their representatives that talk specifically about the reforms that should be made in their province or territory to protect affordability. So it really, it really just says, you know, reasonable, we need reasonable and fair increases. And in this affordability crisis, it's really the time for governments to take action because people are being um, economically forced from their homes and it's really unacceptable. Absolutely. And, and so our, our listeners too, understanding too, that, um, the average income has not increased by 148% across to, to match up, not even close. Right. So there's, you see the gap that I believe in the GTA, uh, one bedrooms sit around what between 2000, 2,500, need yeah. about a hundred thousand, um, household income to afford that in the GTA, uh, while many people receiving uh, Ontario works or, which is social assistance or ODSP, not even close. They're, they're looking at anywhere from nine to $13,000 of income a year. So a huge, huge gap. Uh, and even, even, I mean, that's, that's that set of the population you mentioned, even the middle class now is getting unaffordable. What does success look like? Well, you know, if, if you're looking at this campaign a couple months down the road uh, for you to say, this was, this was a success. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, the, the the top line success would be every province and territory amends their residential tenancies laws. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen now, but we really want to raise awareness that this is something that's possible and that there are these, these are what the problems are. These are where the gaps are. And the, the fact that people should understand that where they live in Canada determines the level of rent protection and, and tenant protection they have. And that seems kind of strange and unacceptable. So if you live in Ontario, you have more legal protections in your rental housing than you do in other provinces. And that does not seem fair at all. So for people to understand the, the, uh, the, the sort of disparity between the provinces and and what can actually be done the idea that we can change things and we can do it right now and it could have an impact i think is really important and then the longer term piece of working continuing through our sort of work with governments and and policymakers to to continue pushing these messages and we've gone through our our legal team and policy team have gone through the 
residential laws in each province and seeing where those reforms could be made. And so we're also there to support if people want to make those positive changes, we can support um, with sort of what could that look like and, and how do we how do we implement these changes? So both I think the, the public awareness piece is really, really key right now, but we're, we're we want to keep sort of pushing, pushing this uh, because I think it could have a big impact. And quite often, I think uh, Canadians at large really uh, have the best intentions. They say, "I, you know, I, I hear you. What can I do? I get asked it all the time. What can I do to make this better? You're giving them, this is real simple. This is something you could do where not only are you making a difference, but it's all with the push of a button. They just have to go to a web, you know, your website uh, or the link and, and click on that. It writes a letter for you mm -hmm. um, and it sends it off, which I think is, is, is brilliant. Mm -hmm. So if people want to be a part of this solution, uh, what do they do? Walk us through the steps. Yeah, so as you as you uh, mentioned, we've got the letters all set up and you can send them with a click. So there's, go, you go to our website, housingrightscanada.com and right at the top of our website is our Secure Homes for Renters banner. So you can click that and then it takes you to the page. You simply enter your name and and I think your email and then you you can you choose your province and you send it off. And it would be really, really helpful, I think, to this to this push if, if people would be able to do that. Um, if you want to go directly to that website, it's just housingrightscanada.com forward slash secure dash homes. Very cool. And what has the response been so far? This started in November, um, ends in another week, and in this podcast will drop just before it ends so people could get in there and get it done. Uh, yeah. What has the response been so far? It's been pretty good. We've got um, uh, people from across the country have participated, but we'd love to get more letters out there. So we've got sort of nearly a thousand uh, letters so far, but we would really love to, to have many more. Very cool. Uh, if people want to learn more about the great work you're doing at CCHR, uh, where can they go to and how can they get involved? Yeah, they, they can definitely go to our website. We've got a lot there. Um, we also have accounts on Twitter or X, um, LinkedIn and Facebook. And we're always uh, a few different ways. I mean, we, we are often recruiting because our team has grown quite a lot. We've got uh, 26 staff. We also have quite a number of opportunities for students. Um, and we just always want to hear, we're always open to, to different partnerships in particular um, at, in sort of communities across the country, in particular where there maybe aren't as many services or aren't as many programs and, and people might want to, to partner or just chat through um, any of the work we're doing. So, or any of the work that you're doing. So um, always, always love to hear from people. Yes, well, thank you so much to you and the team across the country for, uh, you know, relentlessly pushing uh, this agenda forward. It's fantastic. It's impactful. It's needed now more than ever. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on the pod today. Well, thank you so much, Michael. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. Annie, we'll see you next time on the way home. See you later. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com.
and listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 